committed to seeing Jesus in everything we do. And that was really what we're talking about. This week we're going to talk about Christian baptism. And we'll go through exactly what it says. And then next week we're going to look at mission and what that is. And that's how we're going to work through it. So last week we spent all this time talking about how wonderful and beautiful Jesus is. That it's not just about the fact that he is a good man, not just that he is, uh, he was someone who was to be revered, but actually he was God. He was God himself. And that has some profound implications for us. And it's really in the context of that that we carry on this week with the rest of our series. Because we believe, we say, that Christian baptism is the immersion in water into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, of those who have professed repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That's our proclamation. Now, it says four particular things in there that I want to pull out, we're going to have a wee look at, and then I want to make five quick observations about what the implications of those are. One of the things I said in my introduction last week, as well as telling a bunch of really bad Baptist jokes, and if you weren't here for them, I'm really sorry you missed out on those. Um, One of the things we said is that while we are describing what it is for us to be Baptist, we are never, ever going to use that as a way to criticise the fact that good brothers and sisters do different things and express things in a different way. That we must never become that kind of people. We must be generous and open-hearted and, as we're going to talk about, humble. Because the reality is baptism has been performed in a whole different bunch of ways by a whole different bunch of entirely good Christian people throughout history. Almost from the very beginning of the scriptures, as we'll see, there have been different practices of baptism. And as we'll see as well, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold our own conviction strongly, but it does mean that we must do it humbly. So if you disagree with me this morning, alongside being wrong, you are also... No. If you disagree with me this morning, there's grace for that, right? This has to be an issue on which good Christians disagree, because that's just the reality of how it is. So this this statement makes uh, this uh, second declaration of principle says four things, I think, that I want to point out this morning. And if you've got your Bibles with you, it'd be good for you to have them open. So if they're on your phone or whatever, get them out, because we're going to jump about a bit through quite a number of different passages. Uh, So first of all, it talks about baptism is the immersion in water. It's already recorded, so good, thanks. Um, It is the immersion in water. So there we go, straight away we've got something that sets us apart. The volume of water seems to matter to us, right? The volume of water seems to matter. We need to be able to immerse someone in water. That's what we're saying. Now, I want to be clear the volume of water doesn't make the blindest bit of difference. Okay? We would prefer, we have a lovely big tank up here. Uh, in here, if you've never seen it, it's uh, in here. It's a big uh, silicon lined, fiberglass lined thing that we can fill up with water. I think there's even a heating element in there to make it something other than freezing cold. 
And we prefer to do immersion because it symbolizes perfectly what we think is going on when we become Christians, that there's a death with Jesus and a rising to new life. But here's the thing, the earliest people that were known as baptizers, a group called the Anabaptists, which were around about 500 years ago, they, they were called rebaptizers because they believed that you should be a believer when you got baptized. But they didn't use immersion as their main way of doing it because it wasn't particularly available to them. So they tended to grab an old milk jug, which wasn't a milk jug like we know, but a big metal container. They'd fill that with water and pour it over someone's head and that job done. It's called effusion. It's a posh name for it. Um, that's, that's what they, they did. So the volume of water is important in as much as it helps us to symbolize what's actually going on. But the volume of water doesn't change how effective a baptism is or isn't. That's what I wanted to say the first thing. The second thing is that we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Well, because there's different kinds of baptisms. So we have the baptism of John that we see in the, in the New Testament. So John the Baptist comes along. The name's in the title. He's one of us. It's good. Um, that he comes along. He's out in the desert. He's wearing a coat. He's eating locusts. He's a strange, strange man. Uh, and he is baptizing people in the Jordan, we're told. That's what he's doing. Indeed, even Jesus goes out to be baptized by uh, John in the Jordan. We're not going to talk about that this morning, not least because it's pretty confusing what's going on there. But it's, uh, it's, that's a story for another day. What John is doing, we're told in Acts chapter 19 and verse 4. If you want to look it up, make sure I'm not making this up. Paul tells us what kind of baptism... John is performing. So Paul is in Ephesus, and he said this, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's a different kind, two kinds of baptism going on there, right? The baptism of John, this one that's about repentance. Being baptized by John, as one commentator has said, demonstrated a recognition of one's sin, a desire for spiritual cleansing, and a commitment to follow God's law in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. That's what John was doing. It, it was a kind of a symbol of something they were hoping for, that something that might come in the future. That's what John's baptism was about. But we don't do that. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because actually what we are hoping for has already come. In Jesus as we talked about last week and so in baptism we're symbolizing not something we're hoping for but something that's already been done for us this isn't we don't get baptized so that now we are clean actually Jesus has already cleaned us we get baptized to symbolize what has happened and so we baptize in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit it's a particular kind of baptism that was the second thing the third thing is for who, who is baptism for, right? And now this is where it gets a bit crunchy, okay? Let's just be honest about this. This is where people fall out with one another. We're not going to do that this morning. It's for those who have professed repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Those are strange words, right? Repentance, not a word that we use terribly often in everyday language. We use all sorts of other words that are like it, but I would suggest they're not the same. And so the consequences, I think we sometimes misunderstand what we mean by this. We're going to look in Mark chapter 1 in just a moment. But let me give you a practical example. This week, I've had a crazy week, been really busy, and I know I've let people down. Quite a few people, actually. I just haven't been at my best because I've been running from one thing to another. Now, I can use that as an excuse and say, well, that's just what happens when you're too busy. Things kind of slip through the cracks and you maybe don't hit everything you want to. That's not, frankly, good enough. Right? That's me being honest with you. I, I need to do better than that. I need to make better choices about how I'm spending my time. I need to make better choices about what is prioritised. Now, I can come and I can say sorry. I've already done that to somebody this morning to say sorry that I let them down because I wasn't able to do something I said I would. Is that repentance? Got lots of head shaking going on. You're all too smart. It sounds a bit like repentance, right? It sounds a bit like it. I'm, I'm saying sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. I'm accepting their forgiveness. That's a good thing. But repentance is something much deeper. It's a word that's in the New Testament. In Greek is the word metanoia. And it doesn't have an English word. There is no English word for it. But it does, it, it's closer to conversion than it is to saying sorry. Because it involves this idea of completely turning around and something has been properly changed. Not just intellectually, though intellectually, but also physically and emotionally. So in order for me to properly repent of the kind of week I've had, I actually need to change some stuff. I need to say no to some things so that I can do the things I say yes to well. I'm really bad at that. I'm just, I'll be honest. Um, we, we, I need to do that. I also need to, when I say I'm going to do something, make sure I actually deliver on it. That matters. And so it's actually now about the way that I repent. So when we say repentance in the context of this, and we see in Mark chapter 1, uh, we see Jesus, when he first comes on the scene, uh, John has been put in prison. Jesus goes into Galilee and he proclaims the good news of God. This is in chapter 15. The time has come. That, sorry, chapter 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe the good news. He doesn't mean say sorry. He means completely have your life turned around. And believe the good news. And so when we say that baptism is for those who professed repentance. It's for those whose life has been converted. Those whose life has been turned around. Nothing is the same. And who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, we could be here all day unpacking that. But essentially it's to say that Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of God is coming. Evil has ultimately been defeated. And God has won. It's a simple way to say that that's true. Repentance and faith and we baptise. That would be why we don't baptise babies here. Because they can't do those two things. So that's why we do it this way. It's not criticism of those who baptise babies. It's an explanation of what we do and why we do what we do. 
So, um, that's we do this repentance, faith. And then we see another explanation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again on the third day. Why did we put that in this particular one? Because we've kind of hinted at the same thing in the one before. Is it not redundant? And the reason it's not redundant is because it's exactly what we are trying to picture in baptism. Jesus' death and his resurrection. This is what we're doing. We don't actually believe that being baptized changes a single thing. You get wet. It's a brilliant service. The best services ever to do are baptism service. The great fun. But nothing actually changes. It doesn't do anything. But it is profoundly important. At the same time, we're going to talk about why it's so profoundly important in a moment. But this is why that those words in there, death, resurrection, because that's what's happening in our baptism, what we're symbolizing. This is what God has done. We have died. We're going to read in uh, Romans chapter 6. We have died, and we have then with Christ, and then we've risen again. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, so the assumption is everyone's been baptized, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what we're doing with baptism. A whole new thing. Those are the four things that I think are in that statement. What are the implications of this for us? What, what does it actually mean? Well, very quickly, five things. The first is conversionism. It's a strange word, but I couldn't come up with a better one. One of the things it means is that we strongly, passionately, deeply believe is that people must be saved. You can't actually inherit your relationship with Jesus. You can't inherit your faith in Jesus from your parents. It doesn't work like that. You need to own it for yourself. And this means we are deeply committed to it. Even those that grow up in the church. So I, I don't often tell stories about Zoe. This is not about Zoe, but it's kind of about Zoe. So Zoe, has grown up in the church all her life and she's largely had no choice in that because of who her dad is and so she comes along to church and she's great and you know she's about to be a teenager and we get different sets of questions arising now which is great but here's the thing she has kind of had a faith by osmosis at some point she will need to own that for herself she can't just relive her whole life based on, oh, well, my dad was a minister, so I'm kind of sorted with Jesus. I don't believe that. Actually, it's profoundly important that at some point she has a time, a space. It may not be ever a specific moment, but I same so. Oh, this is mine. So Karen's story would be one of growing up in the church and then kind of looking over her shoulder at 15, 16 years old and going, well, of course I'm a Christian. I've, I've always been 
following Jesus. I've always had a sense of that. And I'm sure many of you could tell a story like that where you've always known God. But there is a point at which you need to own that for yourself and it becomes your own. And we're not unique in this. Our, our uh, friends in other churches that would baptize babies, they would have what they call confirmation as a way of marking that point too. It doesn't make us unique in this sense. But it does say that for us, we are so committed to this that that's why baptism matters. And baptism matters because we are so committed to seeing people converted to Jesus. Faith matters. Um, Another implication, this is, and I've almost said this about five times now, but it's the perfect physical picture of a spiritual reality. Death and life. It is not the spiritual reality. It's not that we suddenly get cleansed or not that we're suddenly sorted with Jesus in that moment of baptism. But it symbolizes what has already happened as a spiritual reality. I mentioned at the beginning we need humility. This goes way beyond just this issue, but it's perhaps the one that's got a real focal point for us just now. There are others who really love Jesus who profoundly disagree with us on this issue. And have done for the best part of 2,000 years. That should cause us to be humble in our position. It doesn't mean we need to hold our position with any less conviction, but we must do so with open hands and with grace in our hearts, recognizing that there are brothers and sisters who think very differently than us. So let me give you an example. I went to Regent College in Vancouver to do my theology studies. I turned up the first day I was there at International Welcome Day. I met two guys. I met more than two guys, but I met two guys for the purpose of this story. And uh, the first guy's name was Ger, uh, short for Geraint. Uh, He was originally Welsh, but he had lived in England all his life. Um, And his story was that he was an Anglican. And I, I remember saying this to him. I said, I don't think I've ever met an Anglican who was a Christian before. Which is a terrible thing to say, but... I actually think was true. I, I, I hadn't come across many Episcopalians in my life, and that wasn't the thing. So that was, I said that to, to Gary. The next guy I meet, he starts telling me all about his life in California. He's living back in Orange County, and he grew up going to John Wimber's Vineyard Church and ministry trips he'd been on all over the world. He says, oh, are you still in the Vineyard Church? He's like, no, no, I, I'm an Anglican now. <laughs> So I'm like, okay. So I, I now have two friends, and they're both Anglicans. Um, and uh, what I discovered about both Jim and Gare is that they... I don't have two other friends who love Jesus more than they do. They, they, they have a depth of relationship with Jesus that is profoundly challenging to me every time I come across them. And... They're both smarter than me. I realize this has been recorded. I'll edit that part out so they never get to hear it. But they are smarter than me. Well, Jim now has a PhD, so he's proved he's smarter than me. But, um, and they both baptized babies. And I I remember the day that I, I was like, I can't fathom this. 
Smart, Jesus-loving people, and they disagree with us on this issue. We must, must, must be humble about it. Doesn't mean we need to say that we're wrong, but we must be humble. And you know, I think that would be a posture that if we learn, and we do need to learn that, because it's not normal. We need to learn that posture. If we could learn that posture, to live in the world in that way, when we came across people, that we could hold a conviction strongly, that we could speak effectively about what we believe and why we believe it. And yet, not have to be right all the time, not have to prove someone else is wrong because I hold this conviction. Our way of being in the world would be so profoundly different than many others. And you know, right now, we can see that people just can't have a conversation about anything without shouting at one another in, in ways that really are helpful. So maybe we get to be something different by taking that posture. We might even get to become the kind of people that Paul envisages God has made us, which is reconcilers. That we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And I think we can only do that if we can hold our own positions with some sense of humility. I have two very short points and then we're done. There's a beauty to this claim to baptism. A beauty to it. In the earliest church, uh, first I'm talking here uh, pre-Constantine, so I'm the 200s AD, so really soon after uh, the early church has been established, and before it becomes really tied to the Roman state. Um, there was a lot written by lots of different people about what baptism was. And they had some really weird ways of having to get baptized. You had to go through a two-year process called catechism. You had to learn all your stuff. And once the bishop decided you'd learned enough and that your life showed enough examples of Jesus at work in your life, then you could be baptized. Once you were baptized, you could take communion. And enter into the life of the church. But it would take you two years before you even didn't get to go to Sunday service that time. You were kept separate. But what it meant is that baptism became this huge deal. Because you were being formed as somebody completely different. Completely antithetical to what the world was telling you you were. You were being formed as something other. And so what happened was they would do these classes... And then they baptized one another naked, which is a little weird, and I'm glad we don't carry that on anymore. Um, and then, uh, then they would come to a place uh, uh, of water, and uh, they would go into the water, and they would be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just as we talked about, except you would be dunked once for the Father, once for the Son, and once for the Holy Spirit. So you got properly wet. And actually, if you go on YouTube, Um, There are some denominations that still do this. The Eastern Orthodox still do that with babies. And there are some truly horrific looking videos. They're quite entertaining. Where the bishop takes the baby and plunges them into the water three times. And it's quite scary. We don't do that anymore either. We just once will do it. But they would do this three times. And then they would come up out of the water. They would be clothed in new garments. They would be brought into the church with a whole new family. That's what they're trying to symbolize with that. And they would take communion for the first time. And what's interesting, and this is where the beauty comes, they thought about this, is that those who'd been baptized, not only did they get the bread and the wine, but they were given milk and honey as well, because they were told, this is you, you have entered the promised land. And uh, Origen, who was a very early church father, he wrote, 
that they came in and they were singing a new song of a new life. Baptism really mattered. It was something incredibly beautiful. And we've reduced it to this thing that we argue with folk about. But actually, it's this incredibly beautiful opportunity to proclaim something physically of what God has done spiritually. And so the question that stands, and I'm going to finish with this, is why should we be baptised? Why? Because we see it in the Bible seems like one thing. There's lots of stories of it. We could read in uh, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8 where we see uh, Philip going along. He's wandering along. Ethiopian eunuch comes along in his wee chariot. He happens to be reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip says, well, I can explain that to you. So he gets up in the chariot and they have a wee chat. They do a big long Bible study. And then the Ethiopian eunuch goes, well, that seemed to make sense. And then he sees some water by the road and he says, why shouldn't I be baptised? And it was just part of the story. It was the obvious thing. This is what you did. You gave your life to Jesus and then you got baptised. That, that was what you did. They were almost interlinked like that. That's not the case for most people in our culture anymore. We're not on chariots. We don't happen to just see water by the side of the street and go, why shouldn't I be baptised? So there's something more formal happens. And sometimes it gets delayed or sometimes it just never happens at all. Why should we bother? There's lots of other reasons, but I want us to finish with this one. Because it's a question of obedience. Jesus' last commandments to his disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We talked about that last week. Because it doesn't say all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Bible. Or to some great ruler or authority. It's to Jesus. He has all authority and the first thing he says is, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's, that's why we get baptized, because Jesus says, which is pretty simple, really, in the context of a very complicated issue, that actually Jesus said, get baptized. So if you're here and you've not been baptised, I'd encourage you to be baptised. Come talk to me afterwards. We'll make it happen. We'd love to do that. We'll make it happen as soon as possible. I did mean to say, just as a little sideline, um, we do think that babies matter. And so we do baby dedications. And we're hopeful to have one of those before Christmas. So we're looking forward to that. But we do that. So as my, back to my Anglican friend, and I'm going to finish with this story. My Anglican friend, Jim, he says... That because we do baby dedications where we don't use water or anything like that, he says we do, we do uh, dry baptisms and wet confirmations. <laughs> he is, of course, very wrong, but I did think it was amusing. Um, our practice really isn't that different. Um, but it does make us unique in some of these ways we've talked about today. This is what it means to be Baptist. We're not Baptists because we believe in baptisms. All Christian faiths do. What is different about our understanding is that it's for believers. And so we want all to come to know for themselves a faith in Jesus. Let's pray together.